calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Tis the season to be nerdy. It's episode 496 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday as we get ready for Christmas and Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate in the month of December. Hopefully you're getting ready for that. But has anybody else been sick for like a month? Because I feel like I've been off and on sick forever. And I'm kind of over it. I'm, I'm really over it. Not, not exa- I mean, you hear my voice. I'm not over it literally. But figuratively, I'd really love to be done with this thing. But, you know, maybe you're, if, if you're at home sick or you just, you just you know, don't feel like today-ing today. I appreciate you listening. Let's have some nerdy fun this week, shall we? I'm actually going to talk to the creators of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is now back on Adult Swim and also available on Max as well. So I'm going to talk to Dave Willis and Matt Mylaro about this upcoming 12th season of the show and what Shake and, and, and Frylock and company are going to be up to in these upcoming episodes. I'm also going to talk about a really cool comic called Eden Frost. That's going to be from Mad Cave Studios. Of course, I'm going to talk to Amit Tischler about that. I got a chance to talk to him at Comic-Con. So again, even though it was in July, I'm going to go back to Comic-Con again because the book literally just came out. I want to make sure to tell you all about it so you can get your hands on a copy of this very, very interesting story. I think we're, so, so we're going to take a deep dive with Amit here coming up. Also going to talk about Obliterated from Netflix, which is now streaming, and a kid couldn't wait to talk about this one. Also going to talk about some interesting comments that Bob Iger just made about quality over quantity at Disney's. You know, Taika Waititi said something interesting about making the Thor movies, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff I want to talk about this week as well. So let's get to it and talk about some Aqua Teen Hunger Force with the creators of the just fun and amazing and timeless classic that is Aqua Teen Hunger Force. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Aqua Teen is back again, and that means season 12 is now on Adult Swim. It came back on November the 26th. It's also on Max as well. If you have the Max streaming service, you can also get your Aqua Teen Hunger Force there. So I got to sit down and have a conversation with Dave Willis and Matt Mylaro, who are the creators of the show. And it's never a dull moment when you get to talk to these two guys. And I'm going to warn you, this one gets a little bit off the rails at times. And hey, let's just go have some fun with these guys, shall we? Here's my conversation with Matt and Dave. It's good to talk to you guys again. How you been doing? Good. Great. Good. That's yeah. always good. All righty. Yeah, we just get... released. So we are on parole now, and it's like it's things are a lot better. <laughs> That's always helpful when you. He's going to do... use this interview as evidence that he's working. 
Because oh, I mean, nice. if he's not working, they will they'll ride his ass. He's got to have a job. You just let me know where to send it to the proper authorities or, or lawyers or whatever, and I'll be sure to get right on that as soon as possible. You got it. This okay, parole thanks. officer. <laughs> All righty, but really excited for the show to come back on November the 26th, Aquatine Hunger Force. It's been like over 20 years for you guys. So I guess I, I kind of want to start with this. How did you kind of know that you, that you that you had more stories to tell? Was it like a fan demand thing? And you're like, oh, well, now we got to come up with some new stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was a fan demand thing. And then the network heard it all and said, well, let's make some more. You know, that's make the cash cow, make it work. It's always good. Feed the it, cash. It's always good when you can feed the cash cow, obviously. Did yeah. kind of uh, the, when when you Plantasm came out not too long ago, and that was pretty well received. Do fans kind of have in this iteration that's coming up? Is this a, you know, you have to watch Plantasm first because it leads into this new season? Or is this one of those things where obviously you want them to watch it, but it's not like a must watch. You don't need to know what happened in the movie to kind of get this new season rolling. You know, Aqua Teen, it's always been about the seasonal arcs. Yeah, you really, in order to fully understand what's going on, you have to start at the very beginning episode one and sort of watch all the way through to kind of really get you know the twists and turns of this upcoming season so i would strongly encourage people to do that just to kind of just find just find a nice three-day weekend and just hold up and just binge it you know binge all 143 episodes to kind of yeah fully understand and immerse yourself in the world because otherwise Otherwise, you're going to be lost. <laughs> well, Dave, if only we had a nice long holiday weekend coming up. Get your family together. Get the kids, the toddlers, grandma, grandpa. Get everybody around the TV. Like I did one Thanksgiving to watch this show I was working on, and everyone sort of tuned out after a couple of minutes. It's better than tryptophan, really. Yes. Honestly, that's always the good way to go. But you obviously you've got you've got the meat, you've got the side dishes. I mean, you could certainly make it a, a Thanksgiving tradition of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. But you guys have always kind of found ways over the last 20 plus years to, to always make the show relevant. So in this new season that we have coming up, what are some of the things that fans are going to see where you kind of like poking fun at reality, sometimes literally? I mean, the reality of Wesley Snipes is represented really well, which is contemporary and current. Yeah, the reality of his inability to respond to our lucrative offer <laughs> to appear in this season of Aqua Teen. I'm sure there was a mouthwatering offer that was on the table for sure. But what was it oh, like you to know co- it was? Oh, absolutely. But Coming I did from Adult Swim. Ah, oh, no doubt. Un- I mean, unimaginable. The the budget is just not even a, a consideration when it comes to something like this, for sure. Yeah. I, I did episode, like the retire. I did like I did like the visual representation. No, that was that was good. I did I did enjoy that. And of course, fans will see that on November the twenty sixth when Aqua Teen Hunger Force comes back to Adult Swim. But what was it like to kind of get your original voice cast back together? Because when you've when you've been doing something for twenty years, and not everybody's always going to be on board for that. What was it like to be able to get everybody back together to kind of do this thing and do it the right way? That's because that's kind of how you want to do. it. Well, it's weird because Dana, the eight years that we've been off, Dana went through a sort of maturity. The change happened. The little boy's dropped and he's, his voice has just dropped a big octave. And so he's had to 
teach his illegitimate son how to do the voice, which also, shit, I shouldn't have mentioned it in this podcast. He has, yeah, he's got a son in another state that he disavows, but he did turn, he did show the child how to do the voice. So when he's credited as D. Snyder, it's actually Don, Donnie Snyder, which is his illegitimate son. Not Twisted Sister. Well, you know, let's delete, let's only include that in the podcast because that's a whole, there's a whole NDA that I signed. I'm not supposed to talk (laughs) about it. When you can't send money, send talent. That's, you know, that's the best way that you can, that's the best way that you could do that thing. You actually, you guys actually played around with some different animation styles in some of these episodes, uh, especially the first episode that people were going to see. What made you kind of want to explore a couple of different animation styles in this thing as well? Well, we use Floyd County for this for these episodes, which is a, we've never worked with them before. And they came to the table with some extra perks and, you know, we wanted to reboot the show and the way that it looked, I felt like the movie did that for sure. And then we wanted to like try to keep that. So we were able to with, with Floyd County. So those guys really came to the table and made it happen. I taught them how to do it, but well, of course, yeah, and figured it out. Yeah. You know, you, you got to lead the horse to water before you can make him drink, of course. So that's, I know. that's completely yeah. understandable. And for they're sure. blind and it's really hard to do that. So I hear that is the best animation style when you start <laughs> out blind and go yeah. from there. Were there True. before I let you guys go, were there any guest voices that you were able to get for this upcoming season that you can talk about? Or did you just want to say, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go with what we know. We got stars. We got real movie stars. Yeah. Well, we can't remember we their names, say- but they're huge. Dewey and Vanessa, we actually cast them this year, but we shouldn't say. But Brian Cox of Succession and Manhunter fame as a voice. And then we heard him on a McDonald's ad. We were psyched about it. And then we heard him on a McDonald's ad and we were like, oh, man, he's just padding his income at this point. That's gimmick infringement right there. Uh, Bashir. That's why we're suing him. Bashir Salahuddin and Diallo Riddle of uh, Southside are in this season. Um Lance Hendrickson well, from Millennium. Gary Anthony Williams does a voice. Dan Fogler, James Austin Johnson, uh, Maurice yeah. LaMarche. We actually have real union talent. God, wh- who else? Christopher Walken, uh, Al Pacino. Sean William Connery. Shatner. Somehow we have Sean Connery. You have a medium on staff now? Yeah. We, we did this before... The whole AI issue with the union, and we were able to grandfather this in. We basically AI'd Sean Connery's voice, and we're happy to tell the world it's super cheap to do it this way. And it's you so don't easy have to, to do hire too. actors at all. You could just use a computer, and it's basically free. Well, you guys will just have to find out for yourselves on November the twenty sixth when Aqua Teen Hunter comes back house, to Adult Swim. Houses down. By the way, you can also stream it on Max the next day, too, and find out what these guys have got cooking up. Matt, Dave, thank you so much for your time, guys. I appreciate right. it. Thank you. And if you think to yourself when you listen to that, oh, they can't be serious. Well, you know, you'll just have to watch Awkward and Hunger for us and find out for yourself. It's now streaming on Max. If you missed the premiere on November the 26th, you can catch up, of course, with the new episodes as well on Adult Swim. And it's on Adult Swim at 1130, by the way. So if you want to catch that. That is when you can watch Aqua Teen Hunger Force, or of course you can always catch it on the Mac streaming service. Never a dull moment with Matt and Dave, as you can tell there for sure. But if you've been a longtime Aqua Teen fan, you won't be disappointed by what you've seen. I can promise you that right now. It's it's definitely very, very much in the same vein of what you would expect 
from Aqua Teen. So yeah, if you loved the previous seasons, you're going to love this one as well. If you love Plantasm, you're going to love this one as well, especially that premiere episode. If you missed it, go back and watch it because it was definitely a lot of fun. Again, thanks to Matt and Dave for joining me to talk about Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Up next, we're going to go switch to comics. Talk to Amit Tischler about his brand new book, Eden Frost. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Brian Bucciolato, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When you're at Comic-Con, you always learn about new books, exciting stuff that's coming out, and there's something called the Eden Frost that's going to be coming from Mad Cave Studios, a book that has a lot of serious elements in it, but a lot of fun stuff as well, and I just happen to have the creator of said story with me right now, Amit Tischler. Amit, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing very well, man. Doing very well. I know that you've got to be excited about this. The only bummer that's going to be for us is having to wait until November <laughs> to get this to come out. So for anybody that doesn't know, let's give them a little bit of an overview of what Eden Frost is about. Absolutely. So Eden Frost is the story of two siblings, Alex and Yuli Lowe, who are using the mystical power of a golem in order to survive through the horrific events of the Russian Civil War. That is essentially the soft pitch. And... Uh, a good way to think about it is it's kind of it's inspired or reimagines the ideas of the narrative of the golem of prague the whole folklore concept of the golem but puts it in a very new and fresh concept so in a new and fresh world it's not an adaptation of that story but it draws a lot from the ideas in it uh, in order to make a statement about identity where the underlying statement of really the entire series is that identity is a construct, that it's fluid, that it's ever-changing, and uh, that as the mental construct that it is, it can be used to, it could be weaponized, it could be used to unify us, to divide us, or to annihilate us. And I'm going to explore a lot of these topics through the perspectives of these two, essentially like children who are living through this horrific event over the course of multiple years. And this was kind of born out of your love for history as well, right? Absolutely. It's it's a mix of my love of history, my love of the medium, uh, and also family history. So I'm originally from Israel. My uh, grandparents from both sides came from Eastern Europe, from Slovakia and Poland. Back in the day was Galicia, which is also where my main characters are from. Nowadays it's Ukraine. Um, and uh, they're all Holocaust survivors. Right, so the concept of, or the processing of all of this baggage and all of this family trauma and the ideas behind what drives people into anti-Semitism, what's the logic of anti-Semitic rhetoric. I'm kind of touching upon all of these topics through characters that are, and this is also important to me personally, they are secular Jewish, right? which I also feel like is a perspective that isn't as often explored in media. You definitely get the more traditional, the more religious. I come from a very secular background, and most of my family does too. And especially nowadays, I don't know who follows Israeli politics, there is a lot going on (laughs) right now that definitely amplified, and this was not planned, but definitely amplifies the need to talk about this perspective, especially when you're looking at things through the identity, through through the lens of identity. Because what does it mean to be Jewish as an identity, but secular? But more importantly, it's the 
the realization that it doesn't really matter what you think about yourself or how you define your identity. That is the least important thing in the equation. The most important thing is how other people label you. And that's something that this series is going to explore from a lot of different angles. So because of how young your characters are, do you, and given the circumstances that they're in, do you kind of feel like this isn't necessarily a story of lost innocence, maybe innocence that was not really an option to begin with? Yes, absolutely, which is once again definitely a thing that has been a theme in my family history. Um, also, my, you know, my parents also grew up in Israel in the 50s. War was a constant. So I, I grew up with my mom telling me stories about like, oh yeah, we had to dig tunnels you know, around the school because you know, there was risk of invasion. Like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so this has been a constant theme in my entire family history of the idea of you don't really have room for innocence. You need to figure these things out very, very early. And a child sees things, I think, for what they are a little bit more because a lot of the filters aren't there. And both characters in this story specifically are very, their nature is very, very different and the personalities are very different. And while they love each other a lot, one of the things that, without going into spoilers, one of the things that are going to happen throughout the series is that those differences in perspective are going to pull them apart away from each other. Um, because one of them is very much tied to wanting to be part of a tribe, wanting to belong. And it doesn't mean belonging to a religion or even belonging to a Jewish community. In that time, it could be, hey, I view myself as a citizen of this nation, or I view myself as part of this growing movement. Um, so he has a very like strong need to believe in people, to believe in, to have faith in people, to be, have faith in the idea of a community doing something together. And the sister, Yuli, is very loosely based on my grandmother's personality. And uh, she's kind of the opposite. She's very much, a, she's a little bit more of an isolationist, right? So she's like, no, we're at the salon. It's just the two of us. We cannot trust the world. We just need to figure things out on our own. Do not tie yourself to other people's struggles or war. First, take care of yourself. Uh, so she's less trusting and that also affects how she views the world and the very fast-changing landscape of that conflict in particular because you had two, uh, more than two warring factions. We very often just address like the white army and the red army as like the two major players. But even with those, within those two groups, you've had a lot of different fragmented powers that branched out of them and other powers that emerged and disappeared. There was a black army of anarchists, of rising peasants. There was a nationalist movement that tried to essentially make, you know, like Ukraine independent. There were a lot of people who were trying to essentially move forward with a new agenda. And they all had some point or something that was driving them. So being able to have one character that's very predisposed to wanting to learn about these ideals and kind of go with them and one that doesn't trust any of them, like is going to create an interesting, you know, rift between them. Oh, absolutely. And I was looking at some of the preview pages that Mad Cave sent over. Bruno did very, very well on oh, this yeah. for sure. So talk about the art a little bit and how much of that also tells the story. I wish Bruno was here to tell you himself because that guy is a legend. Um, 
The artwork is absolutely gorgeous. I think one of the nicest things about Mad Cave matching Bruno for this title is that, and I'm pretty sure they saw it. First of all, we have kind of a very similar taste in the things that we like, which helps a lot, because when I give him references and I'm saying like, hey, this scene should act a little bit like this, he gets it instantly. So it makes the process very, very easy. Um, but he also understands what makes these characters appealing and uh, what kind of vibe or emotion they're trying to project or that a scene is trying to project. I think, and this is like future issues, but there is a specific character in this like first arc that I loved writing her because she was absolutely chaotic and very complicated. And I was really curious to see when we actually get to the art part, because she appears in like issue two and three. I'm like, how is he gonna handle it? And when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, he gets it. <laughs> and I think he likes playing with this character as much as I did. So it's, I'm very, very thankful for having him as part of this title. And he's just been absolutely amazing. I mean, before I let you go, obviously this is a deeply personal story for you and there's some serious elements here. How do you work in fantasy elements to a story like this? Because you've got your Gollum and I'm sure other things as we get into future issues. How do you work in those fantasy elements to also make it keep that personal nature of the story? Absolutely. So, look, it's the fantasy element is infused essentially on top of the historical setting. It becomes a major element in it because it drives a lot of the main characters. It doesn't drive the conflict itself in any way because the whole idea is that you're, and this is why I wanted kids to be our perspective characters because you're seeing it through the lens of people who don't have preconceived notions about a lot of these topics. They're learning about this conflict on the go as many people were. We didn't have social media. They didn't go on Twitter right. and go like, oh, this is what the White <laughs> Army is saying. And I guess there's going to be a rally here. No, it literally hit them out of nowhere. For many people, they kind of, if they survived whatever happened around them, they just had to learn on the go. And the thing about that conflict that's not like World War II, or a lot of my family history will come from, World War II in many ways was almost clean in a sense where you know who the major players are right you know what their agenda is everything has a lot of clarity and the russian civil war was pure chaos and it came right after world war one which had a very similar feel to it but this one had the added layer of just a lot of these new emerging ideologies clashing with each other so everything from the supernatural element to the characters perspectives is actually all just caught in this massive tornado of events. It has the potential of impacting a lot of things that are revolving all parties, because of course some of the characters will want to weaponize it, some wouldn't. Um, but I'm trying not to make it the central element that drives the story in more of a reactive way. And I'm treating it like a mystery. So when you're coming in and learning the title, or, or reading everything through, you'll, you'll kind of see in the first few issues, I alternate between who tells the story or who narrates. Sometimes it's Alex and sometimes it's Yuli. Um, and their perspective comes out in that, and how they see a situation, what they're afraid of, what they're thinking about, what they're worried about, or what they relate to. Um, and the same applies to this ongoing mystery of what is this golem because he's an entity on his own and i'm not using um, I think one, one thing that might surprise some people who read this 
I kind of I took the inspiration of a lot of the ideas that formed this original folklore monster of the golem and I kind of stripped them down to only hey these are the core let's say the core drivers of this narrative and I built a completely new magic system to drive it. And I'm going to teach the readers about how this entity works, why it does what it does, how it's tied to this family or to these kids, and what's its own place in the conflict and in the life of these two main characters, all as they explore it. Because they come in, much like the readers, not knowing anything. So everything has to have a certain level of subtlety and gradual escalation in all fronts and the first issue of Eden Frost drops in November that's Correct. when the miniseries begins six issues right it's uh, four issues for the first arc four issues for the he said first arc so that should tell you right there that there's plans for more I mean Tishler thank you so much for your time thank you so much man if you haven't gotten a chance to read this book yet I'm not going to give anything away obviously because I don't but I think you you'll be you'll be surprised at how relevant this book is right now surprisingly so and I mean of course you know Amit couldn't have known that at the time. It's certainly a very relevant story right now. And it just hits. And the art is just so freaking good on this thing as well. That's one of the first things that, that struck me about this when I was first, you know, digging into this at Comic-Con. And then once I, you know, got a chance to look at the story, it was just unbelievable to me as well. So, yeah, if you want a great story, Amit Tishler definitely brings that in Eden Frost from Mad Cave Studios. Of course, you can get that wherever you get your comics. Make sure you ask your local comic shop. Say, I need this in my life. I don't think you'll be sorry about that at all. Again, thanks to Amit Tishler for joining me to talk about Eden Frost this week. Up next, it's review time. I'm going to talk about Obliterated from Netflix. The brand new series is now streaming, and I'll give you my spoiler-free review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you save Vegas, you save America. Obliterated is now streaming on Netflix. It's from the creators of Cobra Kai by the way. So I wanted to give you a spoiler-free review of this just in case it didn't get on your radar and you haven't watched it yet. I, I don't want to be that guy that spoils it for you or makes you have to kind of speed through this review because you don't want it to get spoiled for you. But I will say this. First of all, do not watch this with your kids. This is this is a hard R for sure. This is not one of those things where, oh, I can watch Cobra Kai with my kids and you know get that nostalgia vibe and all that stuff and I teach them about Karate Kid. No, don't do this. Don't, don't do it at all. This is This is a very adult themed show and it's basically about an elite special forces team that is tracking a terrorist network that's trying to destroy las vegas and and you know 
most of the West Coast, if you want to really be honest about it. So uh, what, what's interesting about this thing is, is that, first of all, it's, it's, it's got a really fun and great cast. But it's almost like this this thing, if I was to describe it, it's almost like Leverage, if you, if you know this, the show Leverage, it's almost like if Leverage and The Hangover had a baby and out came obliterated. That's what it kind of feels like to me. And, and now this is a this is a military team, so, the, so they work for the government. It's not like leverage where they kind of work for themselves and they try to right wrongs and things like that. This is a military operative team. But as far as like the vibe of the team is concerned, that's where I kind of got leverage vibes from that. Somebody else might be able to make a different and better example. It's very possible. But but also just the the way that this team you've got Ava Winters who's played by Shelley Henning and Nick Zano from Legends of Tomorrow plays Chad McKnight and then you've also got Terrence Terrell who plays Trunk and and so many of these other amazing characters I could go on and on and on they've got, they basically got people that have special specialties in their in their specific fields like Winters is the leader of the group and then you've all you've also got Maya who who's played by Kimmy Rutledge who's the tech chick you've also got C Thomas Howell who plays Haggerty who's the bomb guy you're going to love Haggerty you you just, you just are you've even got Paul Young Paul Young's a part of this group so you've got people that are kind of like thrown together right and they're the best at what they do so they're thrown together which also means they don't necessarily get along right some of them do some of them don't some of them are kind of like they almost feel like outsiders sort of thing so you've got that kind of a team dynamic going which is a bit of a trope but it's one that works quite frankly so you you, you kind of go with it and you know it's, something happens in the very first episode one of those things where and this is partially in the trailer so I, I don't think I'm really revealing any anything here oh, hey, you think you're good right so it's party time, and then all of a sudden it goes from party time to really serious really, really quickly, and that's sort of the catalyst of this first season. But it's not just about it's not just about the the actual it's not necessarily just about the actual mission itself. We also get to learn a lot about these characters, especially Winter's character. We get to learn a lot about Ava Winters, which I think is really, really great, and you know, kind of see you sort of see these characters evolve as the season goes on as well. But at the same time, I got nostalgia vibes from this one too, and I'll tell you why. I this one kind of took me back to the action movies of the '90s, and I'll tell you why. Because this thing just kind of went out there and balls to the walls had fun. It, that's exactly what they were going for here. They weren't necessarily going for a whole lot of depth. They weren't going for a whole. And there is some in the characters. Don't get me wrong. You're not going with a ton of of depth of story or anything like that. You're not trying to try tell this deep, meaningful, you know, war story or anything like that. Or you're not trying to be super ultra serious like some of these action movies can tend to be. This one just went out, embraced the Las Vegas lifestyle, and just had fun because they had a fun cast of characters to do that with, and they had great actors playing those roles too. Quite frankly, so that's exactly what they did. That's what the that's what the focus was on was it was on having fun, and it reminded me of why I loved like the Jean Claude Van Damme movies and the Steven Seagal movies to a certain sense of the '90s as well, and some of the other action movies that just came out in the '90s, and even I'll go early 2000s too for some of the stuff where they just went out and focused on having fun, and they didn't care about anything else. They didn't care if people thought that their movie was bad or that they, things were critically this and all that. They just went out. Like, there's some crazy stuff that happens in this show. Like, some really, really next-level crazy stuff. You know, not the boys crazy, but pretty crazy at the same time. You know that video 
that circulates around social media. And I'm sure that you've seen it if you scroll through Reels or if you scroll through TikTok at some point. It's the the, the America, fuck yeah, videos, right? Where you've got like the eagle, the bald eagle, and it's got like a... Um, 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 you know, machine gun in one hand and the American flag and the other sort of thing. This this show embraces that kind of vibe. It really does. But not, and I also don't want to turn you off and make you think this is like an annoyingly testosterone-filled type thing. And you know, it's 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 for a certain audience, right? No, it's it's not. There's there's also a lot of inclusion in this show, and it's and it's funny. That's the other thing. That there's times where it's just legitimately funny. So this this. This this show kind of embraces everything you could possibly embrace, and and just goes out there and tries to have fun. So it's not like it's not like Reacher, where it's where it's a little bit more serious and it's you know testosterone filled a little bit more, and you know it, and it's it's definitely a guy's guy type show. Reacher is right, and I love Reacher as well. This one is kind of like it's got a little something for everybody, and it's just fun. It's one of those ones where you could watch this. With with like a let's say a spouse that doesn't necessarily usually like action type stuff or doesn't like action movies or action sh- shows or anything like that because they'll find something that they can enjoy in the humor and the character driven part of this. But really, this thing just goes out there and says, "Screw critics, screw everybody. We're just going to go out and have fun, do our thing, and see what happens." And I and I love that they just embrace that free feeling nature of the show and didn't try to be something that they weren't, didn't try to make it something that it didn't quite frankly have to be, right? They just went out there and did their thing to the max, and I absolutely love them for it. So bravo to everybody involved with Obliterated because I think if this if that's what you were going for, and I really hope it was because I, I just hope I didn't insult the hell out of you, I, I you just really, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. This one is just so much fun. You're going to want to see what happens to it. It's one of those things that's going to want to keep you coming back. It's an action comedy to the max, for sure. And I loved it. And it, and it just, it, it's almost like the show high fives itself at times in its story. It's so weird with these with these characters. It's just, it, it's, it's unapologetically what it is. And you're either going to love it for that or you're going to absolutely hate it and go review bomb the hell out of this thing. But either way, I 100% recommend you go check out Obliterated on Netflix. And I hope you dig it as much as I did. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review, excuse me, of Obliterated on Netflix. And up next, there's some nerd news to tackle and maybe some things that Bob Iger said that maybe turned a few heads. I'll tell you more about that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, listeners. This is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. What's ahead for the next hundred years? It's time for nerd news. And I know that's a long way to look ahead. I understand that. But this past Tuesday, Bob Iger had his little Disney town hall, in case you missed it. And, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, rah-rah, you know, we're going to get back to prominence speaking here. But one thing that stood out to me when I was looking through the quotes from this thing was something he said, and I'll just read it to you and then we'll, we'll talk about it. He said, I've talked about that a lot recently, talking about the down year for the box office. Because in assessing some of our performance recently, one of the reasons I believe it's fallen off a bit is that we're making too much. I think when it comes to creativity, quality is critical, of course, and quantity in many ways can destroy quality. Storytelling, obviously, is the core of what we do as a company. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. 
I, I first want to address the elephant in the room a little bit, and that is that Bob Iger strolling in here after being gone for, for a couple of years and acting like he wasn't part of this problem. <laughs> this oversaturation kind of started with you, Bob, and, and it didn't get any better when you left. It got worse when you left, granted. That is true, but at the same time, this all started under the reign of Bob Iger. We, we need to understand that before we can move forward. But, and, and the thing that cr- drives me crazy is I don't think he realizes that either. Now, have there been a lot of things that underperformed at the box office recently for Marvel, for Disney, for Pixar, whoever? Absolutely. Have there been some things that underperform at Lu- Lucasfilm? Absolutely. And part of the problem with that is not just the quantity. It was who you picked. To, to make these projects, the, you know, the things that seemed like a good idea at the time. And then once you got in there, realized ah, that wasn't really a good idea. But here's the problem is that with Marvel and with Star Wars, especially those two properties, you kind of threw everything at that and kind of hoped that that would just keep printing money. And then eventually people went, well, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And, and it seems like when it comes to Marvel, especially... It seems like it's more than it actually is. And the reason for that, I think, is that it's the whole it's all connected thing. And I know I've been harping on this whole it's all connected thing for years. It's almost 500 episodes of this podcast. And I think on, you know, easily half of them, I've talked about how this whole it's connected stuff is going to bite you eventually. And I think that it's one of the reasons that it bit Marvel, because it's not that there was so much Marvel. It's that. Because everything was connected and you had to keep up with everything, you couldn't just watch this, that, or the other. You had to watch everything. And the problem with that was you were making people watch the stuff that maybe wasn't quite up to par of some of the other stuff that you were making in Marvel Universe, right? So that that's part of the problem is that now you're drawing attention to the stuff that's that's maybe not as good as the other stuff or maybe is a little more niche than something else, but yet you're connecting everything so people have to pay attention to it all, even if it's not something that's going to be for them. And I've got news for you. Not everything is going to be for everyone. Not every character, not every story is going to be for everybody. And you have to allow people the opportunity, as much as I hate to say it, to skip certain things that's just not for them. Because if you don't do that, you're also leading yourself right into bad reviews and and all this other stuff that you want to try to avoid all this negative attention and, you know, people yelling at each other over, well, this is really great. Well, no, it's not. And everybody's going to have their opinion on that. Right. And you're also never going to make everybody happy. That's the other thing. So if you're forcing people to watch absolutely everything, then, you know, that that's going to lead to some of this stuff. And, and if you make people watch the, the stuff that's not for them or the stuff that might not be quite as up to par as some of the other stuff you've done, they're going to start thinking everything's going to be that way. You see how it can all kind of roll downhill? So Marvel's It's All Connected thing might have worked for these 10 years when you had everything mapped out and everything was just, just perfect, right? And you had these all-star characters that almost couldn't miss, right? Well, now you're not quite dealing with that. You're entering the next phase the next chapter of the MCU and you clearly don't have these 10 years mapped out quite as well or nearly as well as you did the first time and that's a problem so I'm not saying that they should completely ditch the whole it's all connected thing but clearly they're trying to keep it going and clearly it's just not working right it's not working now you can say like let's take the Marvels for example you could say well you know you probably want to watch Captain Marvel 
and you probably need to see Miss Marvel and know who these characters are and know what's going on, right? But now you're saying, well, you got to watch, well, you know, you kind of got to watch Captain Marvel and you kind of got to watch Miss Marvel and you've got to watch Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness if you've got to watch WandaVision. Okay, now you're really, that, that's, a, that's a time commitment and there's going to be something in there that maybe somebody's like, nah, I don't know, I, I kind of skipped that. Do I really need to watch that? But do you, do you understand what I'm saying here is that you kind of led yourself down this path for Marvel, especially, and then with Star Wars, you just, you just, it wasn't necessarily all connected, but you made a lot. You, you made a lot of stuff, and the problem is, is that it was almost like the video game industry, where you announced all of these things that are coming, and it made it seem like a ton was happening in the moment, and not in the future. So you got to think about that too. You don't want to announce a crap ton of stuff. That worked, again, that worked in the MCU and everybody was at a fever pitch and it was super exciting, right? And you wanted to know what was coming in the next phase. But that doesn't work for Star Wars because you haven't really been able to capture that recently with Star Wars. You can't announce all this stuff and expect people to go, oh man, I can't wait for all this. Now, there's some fans that will and I'm, and I'm one of them. I can't wait for all these Star Wars projects. But at the same time, then you decide that you don't want to do them anymore and they go away. And again, you're setting yourself up for people being upset with you because you're taking all of these things away. But I agree with Bob Iger on one thing. They have definitely lost focus on quality and put more focus on quantity. Now, I don't know how you necessarily fix that because now the expectation, even if people don't want to admit that they don't need all of this, the expectation is that they're going to get all of this, whether they want it or not. And whether you should get it or not, yeah, the expectation is going to be there. So when you start to back off, if you do start to back off, people are going to go, hey, you know, we used to have all this stuff. And now where, where is it all? What happened? What are you doing? Are you, are you going downhill? Is this going away? So you've created a monster that's kind of a little bit difficult to back out of here. And, and I, I still think the answer is, you know what, just don't make as much stuff. Just just focus on making something really good and going from there. You don't always have to look that far into the future. See if something works and then go with it. Don't map something. You don't have to map something out for the next decade and hope that it works. And if it doesn't, you're screwed. You, you kind of just have to go with the, let's just roll with it sort of thing and see what happens. And it either it'll, either it'll work out or it won't, you know, and then you can move on from it. And that's, quite frankly, that's one of the beauty parts of what DC's failures happened. What happened with DC's failures was that, you know, once it failed, they didn't have this long, drawn-out thing to worry about. They were just like, well, this isn't working, so let's do something else. And, again, maybe that'll work out, and maybe it won't. I'll just have to wait and see. But I just thought Bob Iger's comments were interesting, almost like he wasn't part of the problem when he clearly was, first of all. Second of all, I don't know that he's actually the guy to fix it. And the only time will tell to see if he is. I just hope the right decisions are made because I absolutely want them to get back to, to dominating a little bit, even though I think Disney's, you know, got their hands in a little bit too much. But I'd still like to see great movies and great shows again. So I think if that's the end game, then I'm all for it. We're going to stay in the Marvel realm, though, because Taika Waititi said something very, very interesting recently when he was talking about the Thor movies. Of course, he made Thor Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder, which you already knew that, so I don't know why I said it. So what he basically said was, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't want to read it word for word. He basically said that the only reason he made, the, he said this on the Smartless podcast, I should say that. The only reason he made the Thor movies was that he was poor. You know, he said he, it wasn't the plan for his career, basically, 
But he, you know, he said he just had a second child and he thought, you know what, it's a great opportunity to feed the kids. So I'm going to do this. Now, let's let's see. Let's take this. And I want to take it from this angle first. I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying this as somebody who has three kids of my own. If you have an opportunity to make money, like a ton, like a lot of money, and it's going to feed your family and it's going to provide a future for your family, I will never fault anybody for doing that. 100% never fault anybody for making a crap ton of money and feeding your kids and making sure that they're set up for a long, long time. And these Thor movies, while they weren't as successful as some of the other things in the MCU, they're definitely going to set him up for a long, long time. And it'll also allow him to make the kind of movies that we usually see Taika Waititi make, you know, something that's a little bit more, you know, I'm not going to say independent because that's not the right word, but, you know, something that's a little bit more of a story-driven thing, you know, that's kind of out there. That's that's sort of his wheelhouse, you know, character-driven, story-driven, and, you know, a little bit a little bit kooky. So that, that's his wheelhouse. And he tried to do that with Thor, and it kind of worked with Ragnarok. Didn't work at all with Love and Thunder. So, but the problem is, is that, Again, it's it's who you're getting to do these things. And I wouldn't take Thor Ragnarok back because I loved it. But at the same time, if you're Taika Waititi, you did the one, you decided to do the second one. And, and again, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done it from his perspective. But problem is, is that you basically got a guy that did this for the money. And I don't know if you've ever done something just for the money. You don't always put your heart and soul into it. Let's just put it that way. And I don't want to put words in Taika Waititi's mouth. And I certainly don't want to tell you what he was thinking. I couldn't possibly, I don't know the man. All I'm saying is that not necessarily with, with, with Ragnarok, but when, when it came to Thor love and thunder, didn't seem like there was a lot of detail there. Didn't seem like there was a lot of, a lot of heart and effort into that one. It just didn't work out the way it could have and the way it probably should have. And, and part of that was, you know, they kind of just let him go, you know, after Ragnarok worked out so well, they're like, Oh, well, let's just let him do what he wants to do. And that was a huge mistake for Thor Love and Thunder because again it just didn't work out very well but if you're doing something just for the money even if you tell yourself I'm going to give all here you're probably not gonna okay people like to say I give my all in everything I do and I'm sure that he there was a lot of effort from Taika on both of these movies because as a director of a Marvel project you can't not have any effort at all and, and expect to be able to even finish your movie so I'm sure there was effort there I'm not saying that he dogged it okay all I'm saying is that we've seen how brilliant he is when he makes the movies that he likes to make, and this wasn't that. And it, and, and, and it really could have been, honestly. It could have been, especially Love and Thunder could have been a lot better than it was. It just was completely 100% all over the place. And again, if you hired somebody that you know was a lover of the source material and loved Thor and loved the character and loved this Jane Foster story that you could have told and focused more on, then maybe it would have been a little bit better, at least a little bit better. I'm not saying it would have been markedly better, but again, you have to get the right people for these jobs. And maybe, you know, superhero fatigue sets in for the people that are working on these things too, I think. And maybe there was a little bit of that as well, even this was even though this was only Tyka's second one. So it's just something to think about, you know, again, when you're trying to get somebody to do these things, maybe, maybe having him just do Ragnarok was a one-off and then you had somebody else do love and thunder but you thought you had something and you you kind of didn't because the guy was just doing it for the money again i don't fault taika at all do it for the money absolutely i would have done the same thing but at the same time again you gotta you gotta think further you gotta you gotta think ahead to your next project if you know you're gonna make one and think is this the guy 
that I want to tell the story. And I'm not, and they probably didn't even know he was just doing it for the money. Obviously they didn't. But at the same time, again, that's why you got to be careful who you get for these things because Thor Love and Thunder was was definitely a huge setback. A couple of trailers I want to talk about here. Furiosa, a Mad Max saga that's going to be coming out in 2024. I to, again, I told you, I'm not, not given release dates. So George Miller is back in the Mad Max world. This, of course, from Warner Brothers Pictures and Village Roadshow Pictures. And this is the Furiosa origin story, basically when she snatched up from green place of the many of many mothers and she kind of gets in with the you know she's taken by the biker horde and then you've got warlord dementis and he's kind of clashing with a morton joe and you know over the over the whole you know they're trying to have that struggle for power sort of thing and all she wants to do is go home so she's gonna be, she's gonna end up being kind of caught up in this war between the two in the in the wastelands here and all she wants to do really is go home and then she's now she's got to learn how to survive and she's got to learn how to to fight essentially not that she didn't necessarily know before but she's really going to find out now but what you see again you want to talk about a trailer it's a little bit all over the place but that's that kind of suits Mad Max and it's the first trailer too so you see a lot of action you see a lot of you know a, a, a lot of driving you know a lot of a lot of warring with vehicles and that's kind of again you're right in the wheelhouse of Mad Max, we don't see a, we we see a lot of Anya Taylor Joy as Furiosa, and I think that she was absolutely the right one to cast. We we don't see a ton of Chris Hemsworth, but we see enough, right? We see we see enough of him, and basically what you get to see is the frantic world of Mad Max, and that and that's exactly what you wanted to see here. There's going to be a ton of action. There's going to be a ton of crazy stuff, but basically what you're doing is you're going you're turning the clock back to a young Furiosa, and she's got a lot of hair, by the way. In this, in the, in the most of the trailer, and then you see kind of at the end of the trailer, we see the Furiosa look that we're used to. So, I mean, if that's a, if that's a, you know, deal breaker for you, don't worry, you're gonna get that at some point in this movie. But yeah, the the Mad Max Furiosa Mad Max saga. Again, I'm not a, I'm not always a huge advocate for prequels and going back and telling stories, but she seems to be the one, one of the exceptions where you could go back and do that and and make it work. And th- this one just looks like it's gonna be. Another crazy ride, and that's exactly what these Mad Max movies are supposed to be, but you're going to have to add a little bit more depth here because this is a character that a lot of people care about, and they want to find out more about her. So yeah, I think this one, Furiosa, a Mad Max story, going to be one I'm looking forward to for sure coming up in the new year. Suicide Squad Isekai, which is the Suicide Squad, it's the Suicide Squad anime that's going to be coming out. We Again, we don't know when in 2024. I thought I remembered it being January, but then I didn't see a date on this one but basically yeah this is the first suicide squad anime project they put out a new trailer recently we get to see more of the suicide squad characters in this one remember isekai means another world so they're basically going to a world with with dragons and in mythical characters and stuff like that and it basically seems like they're going there to basically mow them all down and murder them murder them all <laughs> it just seems like it's almost like a vacation for the suicide squad and then you see you know amanda waller doing her thing and and lording over everybody and you know they've got the bombs in their heads so you know they could go i think it said in the trailer it was like 60 hours that they had before the bombs went off and then you've got you've you've got joker you've got harley you guys saw peacemaker in the trailer as well and i think i even saw king shark was in the trailer and some of the other suicide squad characters and i think i saw blood sport at one point so it just again this one looks like it's going to be absolutely 100 percent crazy and i love especially for joker i love the character design for the joker 
in this thing. I think it looks really, really just wild and crazy. And Harley is Harley. And everybody else sort of seems to fall into place as well. All the other character designs look, look you know, pretty much what you'd expect. But the Joker, man, that, that one they took to another freaking level. So I don't know exactly. I don't think we know a ton about this story-wise. But it almost kind of doesn't matter. Right, because you're looking for something that's that's weird and different, but you also get your Suicide Squad characters that you're gonna have as well. And this there will be an English dub of this, so don't worry about that. But if you're an anime fan, you probably don't care about that anyway, right? You don't care if there's an English dub or not, because you get your subtitles and you're good. I actually watch the watch the trailer with the subtitles too. So that, so there's that. But yeah, Suicide Squad Isekai looks crazy. I love it. I hope it's as good as the trailers look. And I just, I think it's going to be something that's going to be fun and just way outside of the norm. And I love the DCs kind of dipping their toes into the anime world a little bit more. And, you know, there's some fun projects that can come from that. And especially something that doesn't feel like it has to be, again, part of your main story. Just do something to have fun every now and then to keep fans on their toes. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests for joining me this week. And by the way, you can catch up with everything at downandnerdypodcast.com. If you love the timestamps, I know a lot of you guys like to listen on the website because of the timestamps, t- you can skip to your favorite part of the show. So that's available on the website. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you love using Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do that as well. Follow along on social media too, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, also at downandnerdypod on TikTok, and remember, yeah, just appreciate you listening, and just subscribe wherever you want to, but also remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly, and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.